tired. So tired. Overtired. Hello. You're listening to Overtired. That's right. There was not an error in your podcast feed. Uh, we are actually back with another episode. I'm Christina Warren, joined as always by Brett Terpstra. Jeff Severns Gunzel could not be with us this week, but that means that we are with back with one of our very favorite guests, um, uh, your friend and mine, Mr. Jay Miller. Jay, welcome back. It uh, getting on here the first time felt like a fluke, and now. <laughs> Now I just feel like I've I've I'm onto something. Do we have a new co-host? If, <laughs> I, if, I, if if Jeff ever if Jeff ever bows out, we'll give you a call. As as long as we don't have to go through voting like 57 times to elect me as the retired <laughs> speaker. No yeah, promises. No promises. Christina Christina's part of the Freedom Caucus. She's gonna <laughs> she's gonna block your uh, your uh, nomination every time. That's exactly what it's going to be. I'm going to be like, no, look, there are, there are too many Atlanta people now. And so I love it. So uh, we just fair warning, we may be off again next week, but then we're going to get back into a weekly jo- uh, uh, session again and try to stick with weekly episodes moving forward. We had a we had a very extended summer break. We did. Um, and we needed it. It was it was it was okay. Like honestly, since the pandemic, uh, Brett, we've been insanely consistent. Like <laughs> like like we've had a couple of like dips and dots that the big in there. But given the fact that we once went, I think fourteen months between episodes. Yeah, I think that having like a few weeks away for our longtime loyal listeners, and thank you very much, those of you who've listened to us for a long time. Um, we were good. Actually, at the top of that. When I was at um, All Things Open a few weeks ago, uh, I ran into Cullen, um, who told me that um, Brett and and I had gotten him through some really tough times. And that was like the nicest thing that anybody has ever just like walked up and told me. And so Cullen, I, I don't know if you're listening or not. Uh, I don't know if you still listen. But the fact that I had an overtired listener come up to me at All Things Open and I had overtired hadn't even been on in a while and I hadn't even announced that like I was going to be there. Like that was the nicest and coolest and uh like most affirming thing so yeah, yeah that always that always feels good um as someone who overshares constantly um i get i get a fair number of emails um at least weekly sometimes multiple days in a row of people just saying hey you you made my life easier you made it easier for me to talk about my mental health at my job you made it easier for me to talk to my family about my mental health. And yeah, there's a, there's a place for us. We have, we have a purpose in the world. (laughs) There's a place for nerdy geeks who really like to talk about automation and um, nerd tools, uh, pop culture and, uh, and mental health. So yes. Yay. Speaking of mental health, should we kick off a mental health corner? We should do it. We should do it. Um, I, I can go, but I want to open the floor to Jay. Yes. Jay, do you want to kick off the mental health corner? Yeah, let's let's talk about this. So um, all of us have this fun role that we call DevRel. Um, no one really knows what it is. <laughs> I, I love how every interview starts off with, how do you define DevRel? Yes, thank <laughs> you. Um, yep. so funny. A large part of that for me was being out in the community and just hanging out with people. And 
Um, for those that don't know me, hi, I'm Jay. I'm black, and my voice sometimes does not show that. Um, but the other side of that is I go to these conferences and I play this game of like, how many fingers do I need to count the number of black people at conferences with me? Um, usually it's the single digit ones where I don't go back, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm, I'm happy because I, I've been on the conference scene again lately. Um, two weeks ago, I was in Durham, North Carolina for DjangoCon US. Uh, that's a Python web framework conference and like got to hang out with, I think we had like 30, not 30, sorry, wrong conference, about like 12, 15, like black folks there, which for a 200 person conference, that's actually a higher number than you'd expect. Um, but then unfortunately, the other side of that was I started this community because I was tired of being the only person there called black Python devs. We got to have our first in-person meetup at that event. And it was so cool to be like at an ice cream parlor with folks from, you know, different parts of Africa, different parts of the U S Latin America, and just be like, yo, we came here for ice cream, but also to like, just hug each other and be like, we exist. Um, there were a lot of Spider-Man meme photos um, <laughs> being taken. And no, we don't all look alike, but that's okay. Um, but then I got to go to like the reverse polar of that, which is Refactor Tech, which is like a conference in Atlanta designed for like, this is a space where no shits are given. <laughs> like everyone is like, we're here, we're here to address these things that happen. Kim Creighton was one of the keynotes, like... Um, and I got to give a talk that I've been thinking about for almost a year now, which was called Python versus hip hop, how we can remix code, community and culture. And just the compliments that I got were like so fantastic. So I, I feel like I'm on cloud nine right now just because I've had two of the best conference experiences I've had in my career um, and they just happen to happen like back to back. And then next week I get to go to GitHub Universe and hang out Yay. with super awesome, cool people. So like this has been a good conference season for me mentally. That's so great. That's that's really, really I'm I'm glad to hear that. And I hope I I, I don't know. I'm afraid that GitHub Universe is not gonna have the sort of like I, I, it'll be more than one hand, but I, I don't know like what our diversity stats will be for, for the attendees there. I, I hope on, on the community track, we'll have more people there, but um, yeah. I'll, I'll get to hang out with some of my coworkers that I've worked with for two years and never gotten to meet in person. So I'll probably just be focusing a lot on that. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely like give us legit, like give us your feedback. Not, and I, and I know you will like in terms of what you see and whatnot on that, because we talk a big game about that stuff. And, and I don't know if we always do as good of a job as we can. Um, although like on, on my immediate team, um, you know, we, we've done better than, um, a lot of other places that I've worked in terms of actually looking at like hiring diverse people. And by that, I don't just mean black people. Um, and, uh, but you know, we can always do better. So, um, I, I am glad to know that there were that many people, uh, at the, uh, the, the Django con, like that's, that's really like good to hear. Yeah. I interviewed that organization team and they were just like, we've been working on this for 10 years. Um, but I think the challenging part with that is 
I then asked them a very easy question. Hey, North Carolina A&T is 20 minutes away. Did you reach out to them? And North Carolina A&T, for those that don't know, historically black college and university, one of yep. the largest like collectives of black education, like pursuers and leaders. And they're just like, oh, missed an opportunity there. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that like Brett knows, I am absolutely not shy about getting up somewhere and being like, where the hell are the black people at? And they right. like sitting there in, in their confusion. And in the end, it's just like, oh, if you actually try, you get results, but also don't be happy with your results. There's always ways that you can improve. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, and that's the thing, right? And and I think actually you bring up a good point on the education front, because I run into this um, with, or, or I ran into this at Microsoft. I don't know if this is the, the case at, at GitHub and I, I, I'm not going to pretend it's, I don't know if it's still the same case at Microsoft now, but when I would talk to our, like our, uh, our student team and like, kind of like people who are trying to do recruitment and trying to, you know, bring in like more people from more diverse backgrounds, I would often be like, okay, so why are all the colleges that we're focusing on? Like you say you want to do this, but you're not going to a lot of historically black colleges and universities. You're not going to a lot of like, uh, you know, public universities that might have like good schools, but like diverse backgrounds. Like you're still focused on your very like elite number of schools and, and then the university of Washington, because it's local. Um, like, do you, do you not understand why that's a problem for your pipeline? Because you're only looking at places that, if you look at, you know, A, the number of students they have, which is usually small, and B, the percentages of, you know, uh, people who are like not white or Asian who are like students there, do you not understand, and, and male for the most part in the engineering um, uh, schools, do you not understand why, like, this is why this is the only people that you say you can hire? Like, because you're literally only looking at, like, you're still focusing on on these specific institutions, even though every single study shows that that doesn't really determine the outcome uh, of success for people uh, by any means. Can I shamelessly promote something that I made like yeah. two years ago? Yeah. So I created this list pulled from the Department of Education's like data set, and it's just called HBCU list. It's a GitHub repo. And all it is is sorted out by state, every single historically black college and university or primarily black institution, which just means that they have a like more than large percentage of black students. Like I'm, I'm sharing this with uh, the Python Software Foundation for this year. We're going to be in Pittsburgh for PyCon US. And like the goal is literally Pittsburgh surrounding states finding every single school on this list and at least just inviting them and saying, here are some free tickets. Like it's driving distance. You can come like, if you need to get a hotel, we have grants available. Like it's, it, it always amazes me how like these little actions you get like two or three people to show up. And then the next year, like 20 show up. Mm -hmm. So just, just doing something and, and yeah, feel free to use this list. It's, I mean, I stole it from the department of education. <laughs> And I only say stole because this the link that I got this from is no longer available. So <laughs> I, I wonder if they want this out there. Well, Min I mean. Minnesota has zero historically black institutions. That makes sense, though. I mean, yeah, I guess. most of them are in the southeast. Yeah, they, they really kind are. of move north. I feel like the further west you go, the harder it is to find them. But if they don't have any PBIs, then that, I mean. Yeah, that that also kind of <laughs> makes sense. But. 
Yeah. I would think Minneapolis would have something. I would think so. Yeah. But we do, like, compared to Atlanta, like, we have no black people compared to Atlanta. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, there is a, there is a population. There's a, there's a whole George Floyd incident. I don't know if you heard about that. Oh, yeah. I oh. heard about that. Yeah, I think a, I remember. We have a historically a historically racist police department in <laughs> Minneapolis. I don't know. I don't know if you're familiar with this at all, but yeah, uh, no, it's it's not ringing a bell. Um, I <laughs> I'll send you some links. It'll be fine. Oh. Oh, Washington okay. also surprise not surprisingly does not have any uh, historically black colleges or universities. Um, we're not as racist as Oregon, um, but I mean that's a, that's a small bar. But we are very close to Oregon. So, you know, um, I feel like and, that should be on the state flag somewhere. Yeah. Not as racist as Oregon. <laughs> like we weren't literally created as a state to like have no black people. So, you know, slightly better there, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Is that what you got, Jay? That's what I got. All right. Christina, do you want to go or should I? Uh, you go ahead and go. I'll, I'll Okay. So I'm currently looking for a new therapist. Um, I don't dislike my current therapist, but what I really want to do is internal family systems therapy. And she has decided she is not qualified to do that. She like, she started researching, she started reading books and ultimately realized it would take 80 hours of online training to get certified as an IFS therapist, and that just wasn't feasible for her. So we've been looking around at options. In the meantime, I'm, con I'm continuing doing CBD with her, um, but uh, I have been contacting, I, I've contacted 12 therapists uh, in the state uh, for telehealth sessions, and I have one that has a two-month waiting list, which is fine. That's that's not a big deal. Um, but everyone else is like, we're not taking new clients and we don't foresee ever taking new clients or like we can't tell you when we'll actually be able to take new clients again. Um, so I have I have one I have one hope for IFS. Uh, in the meantime, I'm working with my current therapist. We're kind of using IFS language, which is. Like for anyone unfamiliar, like IFS is this idea that you have all of these parts within you that are often frozen at various points in time and and they can take a, like um, uh, guard roles in your forefront personality and and can bring forward beliefs maybe that you don't have uh, like as your actual self and can make noise and and react to things in a way that isn't true to who you actually are. Um, and you deal with them by showing compassion, talking to these individual parts and integrating them into your true self. Uh, so that with the ultimate goal of acting from true self, which is like a compassionate uh, uh reasonable human being, which is what I want to be. Um, and I, it's, there's parts of it that sound like a lot of woo to me. Uh, 
but also when I read about like what the goals of it are, it's something I do really want. So I am exploring finding an IFS therapist to go through this with me. Um, That said, I have found my loudest voice is this little Christian boy that seems to be frozen around the age of 10. And he has a checklist of all of the things I do that are going to condemn me to hell. And he is constantly fighting to make me feel terrible about things that I consider part of my identity. Uh, so working with my current therapist, I've, I've been writing a letter to the little Christian boy. Um, I haven't given him a name. I think it might be helpful to name him. Uh, but uh, writing a letter expressing uh, who I actually am and where. Well, so the first the first draft of this letter, I wrote about who I actually am and all the ways he was wrong. And and I went into like all this detail about like, you believe this and here's why this is wrong. And that was that was the incorrect approach. What I actually need to do is say, you've done a good job uh, with what you know. And and you've you've really looked out for me doing the best you can in in this state you were frozen in and just show some compassion to this part of me. Uh, but like everything from my identity as like pansexual or my history with drug addiction and all of these things that he he considers like, you know, <laughs> reasons I should go to hell. Um, and I don't need to spend time convincing him that I don't believe in hell anymore. Um, I need to say, hey, <laughs> good show, buddy. <laughs> you tried. Um, and just kind of accept. Uh, or get him to accept that he did he did his work and he's done and he can fuck off now. Um, so that's that's my that's my like current uh, therapy status. I also have been in a lot of discussions with my partner about um, our kind of the way we behave in social situations. Um, it started with a conversation about how I love to pick up other people's check at dinner. And she sees this as like a way of me showing off a way of me, like lording over them that I make more than they do. And that's not in any way what it is for me. Like for me, it's like, Hey, how can I be generous and show these people that I love them and thank them for hanging out with us? And like, this is like, we want to do it again. So I'm going to make it as easy as possible. And I just like, I'll intercept the check. When I see the, the, the wait staff coming up, I'll just like hold my card out and be like, just one check, take it all. Um, and then, and then the people at the table will be like, Hey, so where's the check? I'm like, don't worry about it. I got this. And like, Elle sees that as like, um, haughty, I guess, but like, so, so I'm reworking like how I do this and I want to make it more, um, I want to give them some agency in the matter. I want to, I want to stop and say, Hey, do you mind if I pick this up? 
And I don't want to say you can get the next one, which was suggested to me when I brought this up on on social media. They're like, just say, I'll get this. You can get the next one. But I don't want people to not hang out with us because they feel like it's their responsibility to not pick up just their check, but also mine. Like, I don't want to put that out there. So I just want to I'm going to I'm going to start asking, can I get this? Um, We'll see how that goes. Uh, the other topic that has come up is when I don't know how to fit into a conversation, I tell a dad joke. Um, I will I will interrupt a train of thought to tell a stupid fucking joke. And that's my way of like breaking in. Um, for L, that entirely disrupts like the the de- the deeper conversation she was fostering for me in a party setting like everything's fair game like let's let's switch topics let's keep this conversation like surface level and just skimming around but she likes to dig deeper she likes to deep dive in her conversations and and I always screw that up um so what we figured out is we don't we need to not have conversations with the same people at a party yes. We we attract different types of people. The people that will enjoy a conversation with me are different people than the ones that will enjoy a conversation with her. And she spends time trying to rescue people I'm talking to from me. And I spend time trying to rescue people she's talking to from her. Whereas what really should happen is we should get to the party. We should separate. We should talk to the people that each of us attracts or are attracted to, and then, you know, check in with each other on occasion. Do you need another drink? How's it going? Um, you, you good, you ready to go, etc. Um, but like have separate conversations, which makes right. perfect sense to me. It doesn't offend me at all. And I think she's down with the idea. Like, I'm not a person who's like, I can't believe you spent all night talking to someone and didn't include me. Like, I don't care. I'm fine. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, no. I mean, I think that the, I think that's probably the right thing. And then maybe what you could find is that okay, if you, you know, wind up uh, being in a place where um, you both like you meet someone who you think that L might like, or or you kind of gravitate towards the same person, then you can have like kind of a, a shared conversation. Yeah. Right. Like where, but like or at you least don't need- an introduction and then bow yeah. out. Like, totally. You're totally. not the person for me, but you might be the person for L. Or, you know, if you think that you might both like them, like maybe you would have that comfort where you won't do the interrupting while she's talking thing to insert a, you know, <laughs> n- unnecessary dad joke. Um, uh, you know, which uh I, I totally get your impulse there. That's also something <laughs> maybe recognize that like if people are talking, like you don't always have to find your in that way. But um I I I have a similar thing with you on picking up the check. I, I and I've never even thought about it as people thinking like, oh, you know, she thinks she's better than anybody else because it's never been about that for me. It's like, I appreciate being with you and I would like to show that. I think the thing is, I think people like, I think like uh, you said, asking people if that's okay, I think that's a good thing. Um, the only thing there is you just have to be okay with with people saying no. Yeah. Um, well, and I know? am. Like, it's not like a moral obligation I have to pay the check. I just think it's a nice, generous thing to do. And if I can afford it, why wouldn't I do it? If they're like, oh, no, we got this or we got ours. Let's split the check. Fine. Totally fine. I'm not offended in any way. 
Yeah. It, that, kind of two interesting things on that. Like the, the splitting the check thing, uh, Brett, you and I've talked about this before. Like I clearly make more money than everyone in my family. And, and in some ways they remind me of that, not in a aggressive way, but like, uh, Hey, we should go somewhere. Uh, it's not really in our budget to go somewhere right now. Um, okay, cool. Either I can choose to say, well, I want to go, so I will cover it. Or that's cool. We'll think of something that isn't, you know, or that is more in your budget. We'll do a, a game night at home. Like we've made investments. We got a pizza oven just to like, have my sister come over from college and be like, yo, let's make pizzas and hang out. Like you don't have to spend money now. Yeah. But I, I definitely feel that whenever I am with people of equal or greater like financial position that it, it gets, it gets weird. Cause then it's like, uh, who and usually the rule is whoever don't invite somebody out if you're not prepared to cover it. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to say, hey, Brett, Christina, let's go to like, you know, Ruth's Chris on me or let's go to Ruth's Chris, period. Like if I'm balling on like McDonald's budget. Well, right. I think it's I think it's a thing that you can you can specify in the invitation. If you say, yes. let us take you out to this yeah. restaurant instead of like, let's go to this restaurant. Let us take you out and like just set up that expectation from the beginning and then if you say, let's go, let's meet at this place, then understand that the the understanding is that you'll be splitting the check. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's how I feel. Like, I, I, I mean, yeah, that, that's what I do. I mean, like, if I, if I want to invite someone someplace, and, and I'm in a similar situation with, with you, um, Jay, where I would say at this point, about half my friends make the same as, or in some cases, more than me. But a lot of my friends, like, especially my journalist friends, like... I now make way more than them. So when we go out, especially if it's someplace that is pricier or whatever, like I usually will buy like the first round of drinks or or something else just because I understand sometimes that we're in a, you know, situation where I'm like, okay, I know that I'm in a much better situation than you are just from a, you know, uh paychecks point of view, um although some of them might do better than with savings and whatnot than me. Um but you know, uh, and maybe if I'm there, you know, if I'm in New York or whatever, like I'm there on, on for work and, you know, um, it, I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm in a place where I can totally just get the check or, or, or get our drinks or whatever. Uh, but I, I also feel like it's sometimes one of those situations where, like you were saying, Brett, you just have to know the expectations where if, if the whole reason that somebody doesn't want to go out is because they can't afford it. If I know that, then I'll be like, oh no, I got this. You know, we, we yeah. can go out and do this. But if it's one of those things where it's like, you say to somebody, let's meet here, or have you wanted to go to this place? Then I, I guess maybe wrongly, I, I kind of trust them to tell me if they can't afford it or if it's not something that's within their budget right then. Um, and then we can either find another place or, you know, if it's a place I really want to try, I can be like, Hey, my treat. But, you know, generally, um, I don't know. It's weird. I think I have a good, like read at this point on what types of friends I can invite to really expensive places and what types I can't. And it is not always based on income. There are some friends who will just budget and and use their money for those things. Then I have some friends who are really freaking rich, but are cheap as hell. And yeah. I would like never invite <laughs> to like, That's a, pretty you, common, know, actually. you know what I mean? Where I'm like, I would never invite them to an expensive restaurant because I know that they would like be I, weird about it. 
it, I have been invited to restaurants that I know that I can't afford. Like I can't afford my yeah. check, let alone picking up someone else's. Right. Um, and in those situations, I've, I've accepted the invite because I have assumed this person makes enough money. They're going to buy both of our meals. Uh, even though it wasn't explicitly stated, I know that if someone's going to bring me a $200 steak, I'm not going to be the one paying for it because right. I would never do that to myself. And it's right. always worked out like, uh, like oh, that's I've, cool. the, the See, people I, that have taken me out, like in San Francisco, they've always like, it's never been a question. I got this. That's interesting. I think like there's like this weird like wasp part of me that would like never, ever assume that someone else was paying the check and would feel like compelled to pay my part, <laughs> even if I was completely broke and didn't have it. Because otherwise, like unless it was like very clear, like with the invite, oh, we want to take you out. Or if you're going out with, you know, a certain boss or something like my, my old boss, Prashant, Prashant pays for everything always. And that's just how it is. And you go to really expensive Michelin yeah, well, star bosses, places. Bosses should pay. Yeah. Parents, parents should pay when they take their kids out. It like, depends. So, okay. The way I was raised, I have never, ever paid for my meal when eating with my parents uh, or, you know, whatever partner I have at the time, like they sure. have never paid. And that is like, that's the way I learned. If you take someone out, you pay for the meal. Like, and yeah, no. And, and I, I, I only do if I want to, right? Like my parents, it's one of those things where I'm like, no, I'll, I'll take care of this. I mean, the assumption, yeah, I'll be honest. The assumption always is for me that my parents are going to pay, sure. but I, I, there have been times when I've been like, no, actually I would like to, you know, pick up the $500 yeah. check. Well, whatever. and that's your, that's your option. That's always an option. Um, but it's never an assumption. And I think that's for my parents. I think that's a familial thing. I imagine when they go out with their peers, they're not just assuming they're picking up the check. Like they pick up the right. check for family, but I translated it in my brain to like, whoever makes the invitation pays the check. And I don't think that's true. Uh, for anybody. I don't think that's even true for my parents who taught me this. Like, we invited you out for dinner, so we're buying you dinner. Um, I, I'm, work I'm working through some stuff. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. Like, I think the last three times I've, I've gone to dinner with my parents, I've picked up the check. But again, I know a lot of that is like, they are very content with eating the exact same meal every single sure. day. Like, they're like, we've budgeted for this. It's pork chops and rice today. It'll probably be pork chops and rice tomorrow. Like, so for me, it's like, if I don't want to eat the same thing, I've got to be like, hey, let's go here. My treat. Like, I'm more than yeah. happy to do to, this. To be fair, my parents' idea of eating out is like Perkins or the Green Mill. <laughs> yeah. And like the check is never more than $80 for like a party of four. So, yeah. <laughs> it's a different story than going out to an actually good restaurant. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. My, my parents, their, their budget is a little bit more than that, but it is a similar thing. Like it'll be like, you know, a, like a chain thing, unless it's like a birthday or, you know, like a special occasion. And then even if it's like their birthday, they always pay, which, <laughs> you know, weird, but like. It's my I birthday. My I get to pay for everyone's dinner. <laughs> okay. But you know what? This year I took my mom to Las Vegas for a week to see Adele right, and right. I paid out the ass for Taylor Swift era's tour right. ticket. So honestly, yeah. at this point, 
<laughs> like you can pick up your own meal if you want to. For for this year, absolutely. <laughs> for this year, that, I'm like I'm like you know what I'm good. That's a good rule of thumb too. Of like if if you've been paid for substantially, like make the effort to cover it once or twice. Like cover something. Yeah. E- yeah. Even if it's like, yo, let's go to Burger King, my yes. treat. Like just just the act of being like, hey, you you really yeah. hooked me up over you, here. You spent like 10 you grand on me. I can spend 50 bucks on you. Yeah. Totally. Right. But I think that actually goes back to like the first thing that you were talking about, Brett, which is just I think just showing like the whole reason I think a lot of us do these things is because we want to show that we care. And we want to show gratitude. Like I'm sure yeah. for some people it is a flex, I, but I don't get that's not the sense with you. Like that's not the sense well, with. And that's not the sense me. I've ever gotten when someone picks up my check. It yeah. I don't never, know what those kind of people never do. felt like a flex to me. No, I mean, I've, I've only had that in a couple of instances. And it's been when, like, it's been, like, a really rich guy. Like, I remember one time I went to uh, one of Wiley Dufresne's uh, restaurants, uh, WD-50, which I don't even think exists anymore, but um, in, in New York City. And um, it was, like, a $400 prefix thing per person before uh, wine. And we had the wine tasting, too. And um, and Grant's boss at the time, like, picked up the whole thing. And that was an understood thing because, again, like, if you're going someplace where you're talking about probably – it was probably six fifty per person before um, tip, <laughs> you know, that's a different sort of thing. Like, yeah, I, although I have, sure. I have been invited to go to French Laundry with people before, and they said normally, you know, we would pay, but, you know, this is a, a special, more expensive menu, so – if you'd like to come, you know, like with the, and, and I'm like, well, yeah, it's French laundry. I would not assume that you would pay for me in this context, but it, but in the, the WD 50 situation, it was a flex for sure. And I absolutely accepted it. I was like, you can flex all you want. Thank you very much. For the very expensive, you know, meal, um, and, and, and presentation, like that is, that is fine. Like you can absolutely be uh you know showing off that you are a rich asshole like that is completely fine with me what does wd50 mean is that 10 better than wd40 so the guy's name the chef's name is wiley dufresne and so i think that it was just kind of like a a play on like wiley dufresne sure okay so it's a a, um, molecular gastronomy is the sort of stuff that he does okay yep so 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 the whole and and then i think naming after a chemical thing actually it's a pretty great restaurant name it was a good restaurant too i don't like i said i don't know if it still exists but um it was a it was a really good restaurant but that was one of the more expensive meals um i've uh, i've ever been to no it does not exist anymore it closed um in uh uh 2014 so shit yeah well it, it, it was it was open for 11 years all right all right that's a good run that's a good run yeah Brett, I have a question about the the second thing you were you were talking about with just kind of different, not friend groups, but I would say maybe like friend types. Like, do you hang out with a lot of neurodivergent people? Oh, a hundred percent. Like, I don't hang okay. out with neurotypicals at all. I I wonder how much of a problem this actually is for the other like the person in the conversation because I've hung out with both you and L at the same time, and I am completely able to track both the both of the conversations including the inserted dad jokes and just keep going without a a step being missed so same the yeah um the difference is when we hang out with you it's been in a situation where we were where we will we were all kind of already comfortable with each other yeah um and we had certain understandings in place about each other's personalities um the situations i'm talking about are party situations where you're meeting people you've never talked to before 
you're creating those first impressions, um, which for me, first impression is like, I'm going to lay everything on the table. And if you can't deal with it, we're going to move on. And for Elle, it's like, let's feel this out. Let's, let's discover each other's like special interests. Let's dive deep on things we share. And for me, it's just like, I'm going to spill my guts. And if you don't like it, you can leave and I'll move on to the next person. Uh, It's a different situation than one where there's already a mutual respect and kind of a, like an acceptance. Yeah. Well, it also seems like this is a thing that might not bother the people that you are with. This is just a thing that, that really bothers L. And so that, that, which which is fair, right? I get that. Yeah. You know, and sometimes that's the case where it's just like, it's like, people you're with might not even be bothered by it. Maybe they, they will be kind of like, you know, fine. Honestly. Okay. To be fair, if I thought people I was talking to were bothered by a random dad joke, I wouldn't tell it. Like I have some, I have some inhibitions right? where if I don't feel like something is appropriate, if I feel like people will react badly to it, I'm not going to do it. Like these are situations where I think it's appropriate. Um, but they, it offends L it like breaks L's concentration more than right. anything. I yeah. was going to say that's, that's honestly, that's the real thing, right? Like it's, it's not so much about like what the, what, what it's doing for the other people. Cause yeah, you, you can have a read on whether it's an appropriate time to insert something like that or not. But it's the fact that, yeah, with her, it's taking her out of it. It's making her, you know, like it, it's changing, you know, whatever her, you know, concentration level or, or her feel on the conversation was. And it's, it's disrupting that, which totally fair. That's, I think that you've come up with a good solution, which is just at a party when you're meeting people, don't meet them at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is so fascinating. Like Brittany and I are so different. Like my wife, Brittany, um, I talk all the time. I don't shut up. She never talks. So we have like the exact opposite problem where people who are meeting us for the first time either think that I'm super talkative or that I'm like speaking for her uh-huh. or the or the or the worst like, oh, well, she doesn't like us because she didn't say anything. It's like, no, she just doesn't talk to yeah. like anyone. Yeah. Um, so if we want the conversation to continue, I... I pick up on that and like, I just speak. Um, but it's, I, I would be, I'd be interested to understand more like the feeling of like, Hey, we both have things that we want to talk about, but we're, we're bumping into each other in the process. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I honestly, in a party situation, I don't want to talk about anything. Like I keep everything very surface level. When I'm first meeting someone, I'm testing the waters. I'm it's like, it's a vibe check. It's yeah. a what? It's a vibe check. Oh yes, a vibe check. Yeah, it is it, totally. And and Elle is like, let me find the one common interest we have and like dig into that. And I'm like, let's find out how you react to right o- offensive <laughs> jokes or stupid jokes. Right. <laughs> Do I want to actually talk to you enough to even find out if I want to go right. deeper? Right. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. that's how I am at some place. Like, hey, well, I mean, I'm like like you, you Jay. Like, I'm a talkative person, and I'll talk to anybody about anything. Like, you know, it's actually weird for me when I'm in a situation where I'm with someone who I cannot get to talk back at all. And I'm not talking about quiet people because that I can deal with, but I mean people who like will just like not give you 
anything at all. And you're just like, okay, so we're just going to sit here in silence. Like that's, and I can do that, but that's, that's weird and rare for me. I can usually get almost anybody to talk back. Right. Yeah. When I meet a quiet person, that's like a challenge. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I get you. Like I, I, I understand your social anxiety. I understand what you're going through right now. I'm going to, I'm going to break your shell. Yeah. And we're going to find, we're going to find a common thing that's going to bring you out of your shell. That's like a challenge to me. And Same. I won't, I'm not, I don't like, I'm not overbearing. I'm not going to like, you must talk to me or, right. or you have failed. Like, it's like, I'm just going to test the waters. I'm going to keep trying things to kind of crack your shell and see if we can like bring you out. And like, that's, that's fun for me. I like agree. I enjoy that. No, I do too. I do too. Like, I think that that was the only like, sorority rush was such a, always like a complete bullshit and like nightmarish week and whole situation and the whole thing is dumb. But the one part of that that I did enjoy was like, you have to have 10,000 conversations with random girls, you know, for like five days straight as you're trying to kind of get to know them more and figure out like, who will you, you know, you know, present a bid to and who will you, you know, not and all this bullshit. And so you have to, you're faced sometimes with really awkward like conversations and trying to get people to talk and get out of their shell. And this, this girl who wound up being my little sister in my sorority and like somebody who I loved deeply, I met her and I could not get her to talk to me. And it was the most awkward. And like, I felt so failed and I was like, what the hell? But she kept putting us at the top of her bid list, like every single day. And we came back and wound up, like, not only did she accept, like, I was the one that she liked the most. Like she wanted me <laughs> as her big sister. And then we we wound up getting, I invited her over to my house um, once she became a pledge and I got all the pledges drunk. Um, and then we went out to a club and um, cause that's what I, that's how I like make friends is I'm just like, we're going to get fucked up and we're going to like go like, you know, and then like, like you're making the freshmen do really stupid shit, you know, which like, like they're always like, oh no, you can't, you know, tell the pledges to drink. I'm like, yeah, you can. Um, <laughs> I can absolutely tell you, I will absolutely peer pressure you into getting fucked up 100%. Um, and I have zero regrets about that, but like she, we, she wound up really liking me. And like, once like I, her ambitions, like, like her, her um, guard was down a little bit, like she was a completely different person. And I just realized, okay, she just really has to take things in and, you know, wouldn't put anything out there. But once she felt comfortable around me, then like she'd never shut up and it was great. But it's yeah. just, I always, I always try to like remember that to myself because I thought that it was the most awkward, like, you know, sure. um, uh, like a warmed conversation. That's what, that's what we would call them, warm, warm conversations. I, I thought it was like the most awkward thing I'd ever had in my entire life. I was like, that girl hated me. This was awful. Like I have never in my life had anybody just not respond. And, you know, I was pulling out all my tricks, nothing. And ended up being, okay, that was just a misread because and i'm sure that she's neurodivergent um but like that was just at the time i didn't know that i was like okay that's just you know once i got to know her i was like oh, okay no she just really takes people in first and then you know here's my question that's gonna make this okay for me yeah did you protect a fucked up pledge if you got them fucked up did you oh, look yeah. out for them yeah one thousand percent without okay. without a doubt always yeah okay you didn't yeah. just dump them at the club and be like, "Are you kidding me? No way! Okay. No, 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 Excellent. no, 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 no! Absolutely not!" Under that no was my assumption. I just needed it stated clearly. 
<laughs> no, absolutely not. No, especially if like if they're younger, if they're the pledge. Like even if they're older, like if, if they're the pledge, no, you you protect them and you make sure yeah. that they're not yeah. going to go home with somebody and that like nobody's. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely okay. not. Like no matter how fucked up I would get, like you make sure that you're not as fu- you're not too fucked up to like you know. Yep. All right. Protect. No. Yeah. One thousand percent. I just had to check. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, good, 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 good check. Good check. But no, under no circumstances would I ever. Now, if I was with a a, a sister and and we were getting fucked up, um, no, I I'm not gonna like necessarily look out for her the same way because now like we're we're <laughs> the same playing field and if we both decided to get fucked up together, like it's not really my fault if you decided to fuck a guy in the bathroom. Like that's kind of on you. But sure. like. If, if it's a pledge who I like was basically, you know, like peer pressuring into you know, doing multiple shots before we got in the in the taxi or whoever was, you know, um, driving us his car, you know, to go to the club. Yes, of course, I'm going to make sure yeah. that she's completely OK. Yeah. So, Christina, how's your mental health? We're like 43 minutes. I in know. And we're still on mental health corner. I know. But- I know. Um, okay. So it's, it's, it's good and it's bad. Um, so the good news is, is that uh, I'm not really feeling depressed anymore, which is great. The bad news is, is that the medicine, which I was really hopeful about not going to work at all. So today is actually my second day being off of it completely. Um, so far the withdrawal has not been super bad, which is good. Um, I had a little bit yesterday, but this is one that my doctor says, does not have a big withdrawal thing. He was like, yeah, you can just go off of it. Like I'd been taking it twice a day. I dropped down to once a day um, because I, I had to get off of it. And, and um, I didn't have a call with him for like another, you know, like week. And so, um, uh, and he was like, um, I was like, so I was like, I've been on it, uh, you know, taking it uh, to once a day. I was like, you know, should I cut it in half? What I do? He's like, no, you can just go off of it. So the long and the short of it is, Although the depression was gone um, and it was no longer giving me that initial side effect I had where I felt high without the euphoria, then it was going into this thing where I could just like read an article or be focused on something and be in it for like five or six hours and have no level of urgency to actually get anything done that I needed to get done. Mm. like at all. So it wouldn't matter like how important I had a deadline or like you have to, you know, do something else or you need to book your travel or you need to brush your teeth or, or whatever. Like I just would have absolutely no feeling of urgency to do anything at all and just continue focusing on whatever I was doing. So it wasn't like I was completely zoned out because I would actually be, you know, sometimes doing things and sometimes occasionally productive things. But that sense of like, you know, that thing in the back of your mind, that's like, no, you need to do this so that you can, you know, sure. you function as a human. Right. It wasn't even hyper-focused though. It was just more like I didn't care. Like I would know that there were consequences to my actions and that this was bad and that these were going to be bad things. And that would maybe bring a little bit of anxiety in me, but not enough to actually get me to actually do those things. Wow. So it was fucked up. Right. And then I, and I explained this to my doctor and, and he was like, well, that's not great. I'm like, no, that's going to get me fired. Like that's going to, this is the sort of thing that will get me no longer employed. So I cannot be on this. And, um, I think that he was really kind of scrambling to try to find some way to salvage it. Well, maybe we add another drug into it and this and that. And I was like, you know what? I think we need to just call this and say that this was a good experiment, but this didn't work because I don't have time it's so busy right now with universe and stuff. Like I genuinely don't have time yeah, to fuck takes, around with this right now. It takes time. And, and yeah. so um, I'm only going to be on Dexedrine now going forward. 
we're going to figure out what my baseline is. And then we are going to maybe look at some other things, but I would need to figure out kind of like what my baseline place is. And this will be the first time that I've only been on Dexedrine in like six or seven years. And so it'll be a good time. I, I, um, a number of years ago, I was stupid and, and ghosted my shrink, um, who was still my current shrink and like went off of all my meds cold Turkey, which was a dumbass thing to do. Um, and that lasted like a year and a half or so. Um, but that has been, um, like, yeah, like I said, it's been close to seven years now that like I've been back with him. So this will be the first time, um, in a really long time that the only thing I'll be on is Dexedrine. And so it'll be a good time, I think, to evaluate where things are and then we can go from there. And then I'm, I'm at, I've, as we kind of talked about, um, a, a few podcasts ago, I'm at the point where if I feel like if I'm trying other medicines, if I'm going through the same issues that I went through this time, then if I have to take like medical leave or something, I'm going to do that because I, I can't, I can't risk like my, yeah. my career, you know? Sure. Um, and that's, that's been a, a hard thing in, in some ways to kind of come to terms with, but that's also, I think been like the most mature thing that I can, you know, an adult thing I can do about it is that say like, okay, don't be afraid if there's going to be a job for you when you get back, don't like have those things going through your head, like do the right thing, prioritize your mental health, prioritize getting, you know, the right thing going on. Um, but I'm hopeful that, you know, we'll, we'll figure out where things are. I'm also hopeful that maybe even if this medicine ultimately didn't work, if it got me out of the massive depression I was in, and, and I, I don't anticipate that I'm going to fall back into one because I'm not bipolar and, and that typically doesn't happen that if, if it got me out of that, then, then maybe that'll be a benefit enough. And then, you know, have time to start looking at, you know, other, um, alternatives because, it, you know, uh, the reason I've been on something, um, consistently is been because like my doctor has been afraid, like, because of how bad my, my depressions have been, especially when I was younger, that, you know, it would be, it would be something I would ha have to be on, like almost like as a maintenance and like as a preventative thing as much as anything else. Um, and, and I think that's fair. Um, so it's probably not a long-term solution, but I think that I at least have some time to, uh, you know, not be drugged out and not be like horrifically depressed and, and then figure things out. So hopefully things are on the upswing. All right. How much do you know about disability protections in our line of work? I don't. I don't either. Like when I when I uh, filled out my uh, like onboarding stuff for Oracle, I I said I have a disability. So did I. And they didn't. They yeah. didn't specify. Sorry. Like they listed what qualifies as a disability, but they didn't make you say which one. Right. Um, exactly. Because they can't. And in yes. in the first three out of like six managers I've had now, I was I clearly stated like here are here here's my disability, here's what to look out for, here's why I got like a month's worth of work done last right. weekend, and here's why I am going to be offline for the next two weeks. Right. Um, and and they were accepting of that, and they but it wasn't at a corporate level. Um, and since like I've been through like manager upheaval for the last six months, like I'm on my third manager in six months and I haven't had that like one on one discussion to like let them know where I'm at. And I I'm always curious if if I hit like a period of depression 
just as an example, that takes me offline for a couple weeks or more. Um, do I have any protection by law? Um, I think that it depends. I mean, I think the thing is, is that again, this is usually what disability insurance is for, which, you know, companies will offer and like, they can't fire you. Um, if you let them know that this is like a disabled, like a thing, but if you pass a certain number of days that you are off, uh, I do know that, uh, at most places, and this is covered by law, it will go from, you know, sick leave, whatever to now you actually have to go on disability leave. Okay. And, yeah. and, 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 and that's it. And, and the number of those things that's going to depend on, on where you work. Um, but, um, there is a certain point, a certain number of hours where it, it does, it, it switches. Um, and, and you have to, uh, you know, go on, uh, t- t- take your disability leave or whatever. Okay. Yeah. That was my, the talk that I gave a few times last year was like dealing with, Hey, I have ADHD. What would I have, what would I have told myself? How would I have navigated this process um, as I was getting hired? And I mean, again, like they can't force you to tell them the ADA uh, American Disabilities Act. Um, the way that they define it is a disability is anything that requires some level of assistance to do your job. So if you do disclose it, you can say like, hey, mm-hmm. I do need assistance, like regular therapy appointments, talking to a professional, certain equipment things. If you've specified that you need those things and they ignored them and then like terminated your employment agreement because of the things that you specified, then potentially they could be liable. But a lot of that is if you have disclosed officially, probably with even including like HR, um, which again, I understand that there's always that like, one, I don't work for HR. You should talk to your HR before you go and like, listen to me just spouting off. But in the process of preparing for this, I talked to a few folks who are HR professionals and they all basically said, if you tell your boss, if you tell HR and you specify, these are the things that help me to do my job better. That does provide at least some level of initial protection for you. But the the problem is, is they only have to accommodate you based on the needs of the role. So if they say we can't we can't meet those needs and you know the job wouldn't be the same if we met those needs, they have to show proof, but so do you. Sure. So, you know, how much of a of a battle with and how many lawyers does your company have? Sure. It's kind of the challenge there. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good info for the listeners. Yeah. Yeah. I- uh- yeah, and, and and I'll say too, one of the one of the things is is that just like if you go on any sort of leave, like if your job is eliminated for like some reason that they're saying is is not associated with your work or anything like that, but just there was a reorganization and this job no longer exists, then again, like you need to talk to an employment lawyer at that point. But but they 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 can do that, and and that's sure. not that's not a thing that unfortunately, just like if you go on you know maternity or paternity leave, and when you come back, your job is not there that's a real thing that happens and, and there's not a lot of recourse you have over yeah. that, unfortunately. And that makes sense. I mean, from, if I were a corporation, I, I don't, I don't support the idea of finding back roads to eliminate somebody, uh, to eliminate their position. But if honestly, 
you need to reorg and that position no longer exists, you shouldn't be held responsible because that person had a disability. Um, just from a very capitalist perspective, um, it makes sense that you can eliminate a position if you want to. You just can't fire someone specifically for their disability. Right, right. The only thing you've got to be careful with in that is that unfortunately there are, um, you know, not um, uncommon situations where people will use that as an excuse to get rid of someone who might actually have a disability, you know, because they have a disability sure. or some yeah. other thing, right? Yeah, so and I don't support that. No, no, I know you don't. I know you don't. I'm just saying that that that's the thing is that they can use that sometimes as an excuse to really get rid of people they want to get rid of. But, you know, um, uh, and every state is different. California is obviously going to be significantly better than any other state when it comes sure. to employment rules. New York would then be um, next best after that. Um, but yeah, um, uh, and there are like federal rules, but, you know, our federal government doesn't really give a shit. Um, so, you know, check with those things, check with, with your employment lawyers. But I don't know in terms of like our specific professions, like that has been a concern of mine in some senses, just it's like, okay, well, am I gonna, you know, like, that's always been my, my fear about taking any sort of leave is, you know, will, will there be a job when I get back, you know? Um, and I, I guess I've, I've kind of gotten over that to the point where I'm like, well, even if there's not, you've got to do the right thing you yeah. know, for, for your, for your health first, which as I said, that's a new thing for me, uh, because historically I would not prioritize my health. Um, sure. Uh, yeah. I would not prioritize anything over my career. That's, that's an amazing development because you have, you have potential, like you could work for almost any company. Same with Jay. I feel like I have a certain amount of potential. Um, a certain, we can, come on. We can prioritize, we can prioritize our health. We can pri prioritize yeah. our well-being over some cushy corporate job and know that we're going to land on our feet. Not everybody has that, uh, that security, whether I think a lot of people have that security and don't accept it about themselves. Like me for one, like, mm -hmm. I feel like if I lost my job, I'm fucked. Right. Uh, even though, yeah. like, I totally. think you would you would both say, I have options. No, well, see, I, I was going to say, I think a lot of us have, have have that same feeling where like other people would tell us what you're telling us. And then we would tell you the same thing that we're telling yeah. you or, you know, that you're telling us. Um, but internally, we're like, oh, no, I'm fucked. Yeah. Like, there's right. no way I'll ever get hired again. Right. And I think it's especially hard um, doing the sorts of things that we do, because a lot of times we are some of the first roles eliminated. Uh, -huh. uh, and we see that and we don't necessarily take stock of our own situations and go, okay, yeah. well, our situations might be a little bit different than, you know, some of our peers, not, so, not, to, not to say they always are, but you know, we might not give ourselves the credit that we, we should give ourselves. This brings me back. Uh, so at the beginning, Jay was like, nobody knows how to define Devrel. And I was talking with co-workers Victor and Aaron who have both been on this show um mm -hmm. about how there's also no metric yeah for determining our success. effectiveness and success right um like we can say the company's stock value increased and sure we may have been a part of that or we may not have um like our roles are very hard to quantify yes 
and therefore our jobs are always insecure. No, uh, totally. I mean, and and there are ways that you can do OKRs and that you can get mm-hmm. metrics out of it. And and I've had various success in trying to identify those things on various teams I've been on. But you're right to actually show the real value. A lot of it is a, is a complete hedge and is complete bullshit. And so my what my answer to that has always been, okay, um, you're right. You we don't have traditional metrics, and you can't do traditional. Um, things that you could do in a lot of other roles to show, you know, this number of, you know, bugs was quashed and, and quality software right, quality is increased right. this amount and we've shipped this many releases and this and that. Like yep. those are not things that you can do. What you can do, and 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 again, it's it's going to be nebulous and it's going to be unofficial because the role is and because a lot of these things are impossible to really measure. But that means to me, I think the way that you show your value is that you tell a really good fucking story. And yeah, you yeah. go out of your way to show your value that way by saying, these are the sorts of engagements that we've had. And these have been direct things we can draw from that, right? Because in some cases, you can say, hey, like, you know, I had an engagement with this customer and then they increased their spend by this much, right? You don't always have that, but you can. You can <laughs> not show. Always. No, not always. But I'm saying, but you, you do have that occasionally. And when you have those things, you have to use that as your whether that whether that result was because of you or not, right? Like you have to like almost take credit for that, right? And so, you know, okay, you know, we had this many more people, you know, at our our conference or we grew our social media followings by this amount yeah. or we had this many engagements or whatever the case may be. You have to find these things that are not always attributable to what you did, but find a way to then fucking tell that story to show this is the value we have. Um, for, but but that's way easier said than done. For my year... For my year-end review, I wrote an article about advanced query parameters in the Oracle OCI uh, command line tool, which was super niche content. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know who would be interested in it, but it made it into the top twenty articles on Oracle developers for the year. And yeah. I get to claim that. And like, that's a metric. I can yes. say this had this had enough engagement that it rose to the top, top 20 out of thousands of articles that were published last year. So 1000%. I, I have a metric. Christina has, has definitely heard me share like the highlight of my career is, as our lawyers would say, I suggested that my work had been plagiarized um, by major publications. Mm-hmm. And that was just a thing that I was not mentally prepared for. Um, so yeah, like any, any time that you can be like, yo, this thing happened. And while it was good, also look at, look at the direct source from where this came from. But yeah. it, it is kind of fun because I, the, the people in this call, like, match up to this theory that I have for like a really solid DevRel team where you have three aspects. You have a general hype beast, a Flava Flav, if you will. You have like the super technical, like Chuck D type person. And then you have like the producer who like makes things palatable and like makes things work. What's Um, the DJ's name in public enemy? I feel so bad because I don't know. Yeah. I can't remember either. I want, yeah. I can remember but, NWA's DJ, but I can't I mean, remember. Uh, Flavor Flav, right? No, Flavor Flav no. was the hype man. Okay. Yeah. He and, just shouted. And Mike D was the MC. Chuck D. Chuck Mike D. D. Sorry. Chuck. Oh, Jesus. Oh, uh, yes. Well, I had to look this up. It's DJ Lord. Yeah. Wow. I don't even know that name. 
He just never, like, no, 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 right. through the hype. No, he didn't know because he's right because he he didn't join until the 40th anniversary, 40th world tour. So that was 99. So he's not it. So Wikipedia failed me there. Sammy Sam? Yes. That sounds yeah. right. Yeah. That would, okay. that would be correct. Okay. Okay. But like, just, good to finish your, just to finish your metaphor here. Yeah. But like, <laughs> good DevRel teams need all three. Like, you can't just have someone who, like, I can write a super technical blog post, but then like don't share it with anyone or don't get up on stage and have those conversations with people that points back to that blog post. Cause I mean, that's my problem. Like I'm yeah. in, I'm in the Python community. Python people don't go to Microsoft.com to learn stuff about sure. Python. No. Yeah. So like you have to go where they are. Yep. Yeah. And, and sometimes you just need someone who can get into that room and mm-hmm. shout Flava Flav as loud as possible. Bingo. So, and I mean, you, you do really need all three. You need someone that can like manicure a really tight production, someone who can get super technical, super deep on things. And then someone who literally just shouts Flava Flav. Now go look at that blog post. What time and, is it? <laughs> exactly. Like, and it, it's cool that I think good advocates know kind of where they fit in that model. And then they surround themselves with the other individuals. Yeah. No, I think you're exactly right. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and I, I um, I'm also just a, a side note to, to close the loop on this. I'm so glad that you were able to give that talk um, about uh, uh, hip hop and, and the Python community because when you talked to me about that at a I, what was it was it scale this year like yeah. that I was like yes I need to see that so I'm really glad you were able to to get that talk uh, written and accepted. The first comment that I heard was like, but for real, can we just stop and talk about Jay's talk straight <laughs> fire? I was like, yes, nice. <laughs> That's. That's nice. going on my uh, my highlight reel. <laughs> nice. All right. So we are over an hour in and we just finished Mental Health Corner. <laughs> I think um, that's just the episode. We're just going to have to go into gratitude, I think. Do, do you? Okay. How much time do you guys have? I mean, I, I have mean, time. I have, I have time. I don't know how much time our listeners have. <laughs> yeah. Sure. You know what? If they sat through a DevRel discussion (laughs) and they're still with us. I think they deserve to hear Christina's thoughts on the 1989 re-release. Okay. Thank you. I will try to be brief. All right. So background, Taylor Swift is re-recording all of her albums, at least the ones that she did for Big Machine. Um, So that's going to be her first uh, six uh, debut, Fearless, uh, Speak Now, Red, 1989, and Reputation. So far, Fearless, uh, Speak Now, um, Red, and as of this week, 1989 have been re-recorded. 1989 being her her biggest commercial selling album, the one that has Blank Space, Style, uh, Shake It Off, uh, Wildest Dreams, New Romantics, and I'm Missing a Single as Out of the Woods as the singles, uh, you know, huge AKA album. her best song, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I would argue that... <laughs> Brett's top picks. Brett's top picks, absolutely. I was going to say most people's top picks. Most people, when you hear Taylor Swift, you are thinking of those songs. Like, at least yeah. if you came up, if you became aware of her during her pop era. Yeah. Um, so this is her biggest album, um, and, and so this is the big one to be re-recorded. And it came out on the ninth anniversary of the original release, which was exciting. And I, I'm going to be honest, the re-record of Red, I wasn't in love with because I thought the mixing was wrong. 
And I thought the mixing was bad, to be honest, on a lot of tracks. Some tracks I was not at all happy with what happened. Some I was fine with. The thing that saved that album for me was that, A, we got the 10-minute version of All Too Well, which is the centerpiece and a masterpiece, and we got the short film. And we had some really, really exceptional um, uh, bonus tracks uh, or from, from the vault tracks. And so that, to me, kind of let go of my, uh, I guess, disappointment with the fact that songs like Holy Ground were not mixed well. And uh, the vocals were great, but were not mixed well. And that means that I will forever be listening to the original versions and and Swifties who are like, you can't listen to the original versions. Go fuck yourself. First of all, uh, I will stream or listen to them as much as I want because I bought them. I bought all of them and I've bought many, 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 many copies of all of her Taylor's versions. And I've spent thousands of dollars on her for concert tickets and fuck off. I will listen to whatever versions I want. And she's still getting half of the royalties anyway, because she's the songwriter. So honestly, she's a billionaire now. She doesn't need you to defend her. Moving on, I was hopeful about 1989 because Speak Now, her third album, the re-record on that was excellent. The mastering was really good. The vocals were good. There was one lyric change that I'm still not over. But aside from that, like it was great. Like Enchanted, which is in my top three songs, I was very concerned that that would not be able to be recreated well because her voice is older now and better. It was brilliant. It was perfect. So I was very hopeful that 1989, like my second favorite Taylor album, depending on the week, was going to be good. Listeners, I regret to inform you that she fucked up. And she, um, if you are not a person who has listened to that album hundreds or thousands of times, as I have, you won't pick up on all the intricacies of how the fuck up happened. Out of the Woods is fine. Style is not. Style, which is also one of my top three songs. The mix is terrible. It is just if you listen to the two back to back on Spotify or Apple Music or from your own collections, you will hear that the mix is fucking terrible. And I, my new favorite Twitter account called uh, Taylor is a liar, um, which that has been the, <laughs> which is that has been the, their username for a long time. I love this Twitter account, and they were sending out some of the funniest memes about what she did to style. And I was like, I am following you now, and they followed me back because they saw some of my tweets. And I was like, I feel um, good uh, that we are like on the same. page page here. Um, but no, the the mixing is not great on a lot of the tracks. And I'm going to put it to you like this. She, for whatever reason, did not bring back Max Martin and Shellback to produce the album, especially Max Martin. And they co-wrote most of the big hits on, on the album. Shellback did come back for Red and he did 22, um, um, uh, We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together and um, uh, um, the one with the, anyway, um, I knew you were trouble. He came back and, and produced those. And he also came back and worked on, um, wildest dreams, which was also one of her singles. And that was re-recorded re and re-released earlier because she wanted to sell the sync rights for it. He did not come back on any of the other tracks on red and Max Martin or not, uh, excuse me, uh, 1989 and Max Martin has not been involved in either. The rumors are that Taylor uh, didn't want to pay Max Martin the money he wanted and that he wanted, you know, maybe like more producing credits than she was willing to give him. I think that was a mistake. Um, uh, that album is every bit as much his as it is hers. And he would not have mixed it the way that it was mixed. That's all I'm saying. Like you can, I'm not saying he's the greatest producer or songwriter in music history. I'm not claiming that. I am saying that he would not have mixed it the way that it was mixed. The Jack Antonoff song sounded better than the Max Martin Shellback songs, but Jack Antonoff then got in his studio and did all of his Jack Antonoff shit and made it like 
there are some background things that are good and there's some where I'm like, I get what you were doing, dude, because you had no adult supervision and no editor and you wanted to make these things different and, and, and sound better, but I don't know if this really was additive or not, but it didn't take away. But the Max Martin tracks, the mix is terrible. And so I'm very, very upset. And uh, I think that she, I think she whiffed it. It's not going to matter. This will still, I think it sold over a million copies, uh, which is insane for a re-recording. Um, and, and it's going to be this monster hit and she's going to now be able to sell the music rights, uh, to all the different, you know, commercials and movies and anything she wants. So she's going to be fine. But, um, yeah, no, I regret to inform you. It's not good. And, and I'm very upset. And that's, that's my rant. That was, feels- that was under 10 minutes. And I have to say, I was watching Jay's face through the whole thing and he was fascinated. I don't think he gives a shit about Taylor Swift. And like your level of nerdery, your like level of knowledge yes. about this was like, he's like, oh my God, yeah. that's awesome. I, so only because I do want my wife to hear this at some point, Yes, I am actually a bigger Miley Cyrus fan oh, yeah. than yeah. I am a Taylor fan. Um, but <laughs> my in my head, I was just like, hmm. It sounds like Taylor needs to reorg her dev royalty. Yeah, yeah, it, she, she does. Also, Taylor, Bringing and it I back love around. She does. And here's the thing I love Taylor, but I was having this com- conversation with my friend Shantani about this because we were all of us, we stayed up late, we were like listening, we were all excited. And then we were like, wait a minute. And some people are like, well, it's just because it's different. If, if you had never heard the originals before, you wouldn't have any problem with this. You're probably right. However, the originals do exist, and and your your goal is now to convince me to listen to the new ones, not the um, old ones. And you failed. You failed. I do I like don't. some of the vault tracks, but like I'm never going to listen to these other re-recorded versions ever again. I don't understand how someone with Taylor Swift resources would fuck up a mix. It's hubris. She didn't think she needed him. Huh. And I don't know how much she cares about I don't know. Like to me, Speak Now was done with a ton of care and it was almost proof that like I feel like that's maybe like her favorite album secretly. Like I feel like maybe she loves that one the most. And Red, the whole thing wasn't fucked up. It was only a couple of tracks. And again, the All Too Well thing was such a big part of that that maybe like that was the focus. But it makes me wonder if like she just doesn't give that much of a shit about 1989. Like she knows that her her biggest, most successful album, but she's also kind of like, well, this set me up for like, a really genuinely awful part of my life when everybody came after me after the success of that album. So maybe she was just kind of like, I just need to get this so that I can sell the sync rights. And I don't really care. And I don't think I need Max Martin because I have Jack Antonoff and I have these other guys and fuck you, Max Martin. You want a million dollars. You want, you know, producing credits. I'm not going to give you that. And I think that's a mistake because I think that again, every bit as much his album as hers and I don't think he would have let it go out with a mix like that. I'm just saying like, maybe he would have, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think he would have let the mix go out sounding the way that it sounded. I wonder if it's, I wonder if it's similar to the situation Jay-Z had when he became the president of Def Jam, like a part of the deal of becoming the president was he got rights to all of his tracks that were under them. So getting, getting rights to your masters is like a super big deal as an artist. And for him, it was more like, I don't really care about the music. I want my kids to be able to do whatever they want with right. the art that I've created. Yeah. And I feel like maybe in Taylor's case, there's this level of like, 
I don't, I don't really care how it sounds as long as I can say it's mine. Yeah, I think that that might be true, but I also think that she does care very much about the stuff. But I think she cares about the originals, right? Like, this, is yeah. my, this has been my working theory. She is doing everything she can to devalue those original masters so that she can buy them right. back for like $150 million. And she's close to doing that at this point because at this point, all of the streaming services will not playlist any of the originals. They will only playlist her versions. And that means that the way that the next generation of fans are going to hear these albums, they will never hear the originals. They will only hear the Taylor's versions. And that also yeah. means because she's the songwriter, the only way that these things can be um, uh, licensed to, to television or movies are if they license the Taylor's version. And she will never let those original copies be licensed. So at some point, the owner of those masters are going to, I think, be faced with a situation where they have to write down you know, their purchase. And I think she's just waiting for that to happen. And then the second that happens, she's going to resell us the originals <laughs> because she loves those. Like those she she did work on and she did care about. And like she's compared them to like in many ways, like, you know, like her scrapbook of like growing up, which is true. Like the music videos are literally like it's her childhood and in early ad in like adolescence and like early adulthood are those albums and they are owned by someone else. And that has to be devastating. But with the exception of Speak Now and, and Fearless uh, to a certain extent, I don't think she's put in that much care, at least in the mixing aspect of 1989. The one thing I will say that is better, but also sometimes not because it doesn't, maybe being better doesn't matter. Her vocals are so much better in the, in mm. the nine years. And, and it's, it's one of those things where you hear the power and you're like, wow, she's been taking voice lessons. And that is actually pretty amazing to hear because you expect it maybe on the earlier albums. I didn't expect to be able to hear that difference between 1989 and now, because in my mind, 1989 still feels like it was released a couple of years ago. Uh, blame COVID, blame whatever, you know, blame the fact that it was, you know, one of the biggest albums of the last decade, but like, it doesn't feel like that album is, is, you know, a decade old, but the vocal difference is profound in some cases. And, um, the production just isn't so better vocals, worse production, some decent bonus uh, uh, vault tracks, but I'm I'm never going to intentionally stream the Taylor's versions. I'm I'm just I'm just not. All if right. The long game. If the long game is to to. Oh, you're going to keep this conversation. Yeah, no, 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 I'm, just, no, I'm genuinely no, interested. No, no, I love it. I love it. Do it. Yeah. Do it. If the if the long game is to re-release the originals with with Taylor being the owner. I feel it benefits her to have the sound be just sonically different so that people have a reason to want the originals back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and the, to be clear, it's close enough that if, again, if you didn't know, and most people who are going to hear this on the radio are not going to be listening in, in like high end headphones or not, you're not, not going to be the people that buy the album. They're going to be the people that stream it on YouTube or Spotify or right. Apple music. The people who are going to buy the album will definitely notice the who difference. Buys albums? Taylor Swift fans. Okay. Genuinely, like she sold, I think she she's going to do a million pure sales or close to that of this album, most of it in vinyl. Um, and 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 it's <laughs> yeah, most of it in fucking vinyl because cassettes she, flying off the shelves and cassettes, yeah, vinyl cassettes and and different colored CDs. Um, I think she had seven different vinyl colors this time. Um, yes, I bought all of them. Whatever. <laughs> um, you know, like uh. it is what it is. 
Yeah, no, but Taylor okay. Swift fans are the ones who buy albums. So I think you're right, Jay. Like it, it, when she re-releases them, who knows what'll happen on streaming? But yeah, maybe, maybe she wants it slightly different. I just think that that's just my personal theory is that as soon as she can get them cheap enough, she will buy them back and then re-release them to all of us and make us buy them in like a big, huge box set. A $200 box set. Oh yeah, that. oh yeah. And they will fly off the fucking shelves. <laughs> Should we do some gratitude? Let's do it. <laughs> I, thank, I, thank, I, hey, thank you, Brett, for yeah. indulging me. Honestly, like we could become a Miley Cyrus podcast. We could actually. We would love that. I'd, I'd be down with that. Uh, I mean, I'm also t- just when Jay becomes a co-host, we'll <laughs> we'll consider rebranding. I, I Noah most talent. Noah's very in that good. Family. Noah's very yeah. good. Yeah. But but I do I do love the evolution of Miley just over yeah. time. Yes. Yeah. It's I, kind of fascinating. It is right? actually. It's funny. I was like all, all like me, Brett, and and um and Jeff have all talked about that. Like we really do love Miley. Um, Noah, I I kind of agree with you. Most talent, but she doesn't have the she doesn't have the star appeal. That's the problem. Right. Like 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 Miley has like the it factor. She just does. I feel like it's mentorship though. Like I I could imagine in. 30 years miley is the dolly parton of that era you think so and again that's that's who her mentor is like that's uh, I, I don't, don't know think, i don't think miley has had a jolie or a nine to five no well she recorded those but <laughs> she did she did okay. and she did a damn good job of okay, jolie yeah. it okay. was it was, it was spot great on. here's the thing i think that like God, and it's a decade old now. My God, I cannot believe this. But like, We Can't Stop is 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 a fucking like nearly perfect pop song. Like, a banger. It is a true banger um, from mm. bangers. Uh, <laughs> so so I, I don't know if that was intentional or not, Brett, but very good work. Um, I mean, everybody always talks Wrecking Ball, but like, honestly, the, the song from that album for me is We Can't Stop. Like, that is the song for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, Wrecking Ball is iconic, but We Can't Stop. Like, I just, I watch that. I, I, I just get happy every time I hear that song or watch that music video because I'm like, that actually looks like like a, a person who's like 20 years old's party like genuinely you know like that's just, i'm gonna it, I love it in the sh- in the show notes i'm gonna drop um an acoustic version of wrecking ball a cover that honestly like anyone who cares at all or even if you don't care even if you think you hate miley cyrus this acoustic version of wrecking ball You'll be like, I gotta admit, that's a good song. That's it a is. Great it is. Now, to be fair, she did not write "Wrecking Ball." Oh, understood. She. I don't think she has writing credits on a lot of her stuff. Does most she? of them? She doesn't. No, she, on her last two albums, she does. Um, uh, and she does have a writing credit on "We Can't Stop," but she's way on the bottom of the list, so yeah. that goes that far. But no, "Wrecking Ball" is is a Doctor Luke song. So yeah, yeah, but it's a it's a good song, well, and of she course made it. Is. it she made it great. All right. Yeah. All right. Gratitude. Gratitude. Let's, Gratitude. let's kick it off with Jay. Um, I, I was conflicted by this. Um, I, I, I work for Microsoft. I'm not telling you that you should spend the money and get an office 365 license, but I will say that, um, 
one, if you do, make sure you put in a note somewhere that it was directly because of me. <laughs> um, again. Yes. Sure, because yes. that's the only metric he yeah, has. Yeah, we, we exactly. need that OCR 100%. <laughs> exactly. But, but the other side is if you do presentations, mm -hmm. consider PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. Like there are so many new features, especially if you haven't touched PowerPoint in like years. There's so many new features like automated transcriptions, things to do like you know, practice a lot of the stuff that that Apple released in Keynote has been in PowerPoint for a while. Uh, we were talking earlier about like the easiest way to build PowerPoints now is literally to start with a white background, black text, put what you want on the screen and then hit the designer button and just let it like wrap your images and move things around and come up with custom icons for them. Like it is absolutely fantastic. And YouTube has me pegged because now whenever I look at YouTube shorts, at least 15 of them in like three minutes will be, here is some PowerPoint hack that, you know, takes you 30 seconds to learn. And I am genuinely having fun nerding out on like, as I'm trying to do more eccentric styled talks, like I'm just nerding out on like, how can I really like add pop and flair to these? And again, it sounds corny as hell to be like, yeah, PowerPoint, you should totally check that out. Also, Excel, Python, it's coming. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's good. enough promotion for my employer. But like, for real, if you haven't played around with PowerPoint, just like open it up and see what's in there and like try to do some really fun stuff with it. Like you can you can definitely get away with doing something. How do you yeah. feel about the toolbar? I don't even think about the toolbar. Yeah, the okay. ribbon. The ribbons, like that's, I don't know. I feel like that's an old conversation at this point. Like, I, I, I feel like, yeah, because it's been changed significantly over time. And it's just, I can't even, I can't even use it. Like I, I have to use PowerPoint for work and I have been impressed with the designer and transcription and stuff like that, but yeah. it loads up and I get that toolbar over jammed with things that change as soon as oh, I, God, yeah. As soon as type in help and something. go directly to what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that's what I do. <laughs> or look for the if you can set up panes, like the arrangement thing that completely morphs your window and puts everything in a bunch of different rows and you can slide them back and forth. That's flashy and all, but like if you go to the actual arrangement like selector, it's literally just a list that you can drag up and down. And like, that's the easiest way to select okay. specific assets, like yep. on a particular slide. Yeah. Okay. And I would say actually in that regard, I think it's like better than, than, than keynote, um, you know, at this point, uh, because, you know, keynotes inspector or whatnot, like, it's just, I, I agree, like seeing that pain and seeing like how it visually shows off how that stuff works is really nice. Um, control command U, Brett, uh, just remember that that'll immediately get you to just like typing in like the search bar. And yeah, I would agree with, with Jay. I usually just search for what I want to do rather than fucking with any of the, the menus. Control command U. All mm -hmm. right. But, and I'm going to plus one you because I haven't, I've been afraid to share this um, publicly, but yeah, PowerPoint at this point, it's kind of like my usual go-to if I'm not doing my thing in like a markdown situation. Um, uh, sorry, Google Slides and, and sorry, Keynote, but I feel like Keynote, which was the greatest app for years and years and years, has basically just become abandonware. And Apple is like completely in keeping the lights on mode with all of, you know, their office products. And uh, yeah, like the transcript stuff and the designer stuff alone, 
not to mention the fact that it's more compatible with everything at this point means that like I I don't really use Keynote anymore. That's true. Pages, Keynote, and Numbers have not gotten, they haven't been part of a Keynote address for as long as I could remember. Yeah. They are keeping the lights on. You're right. You're right. Yep. All so right. yeah, PowerPoint, that's me. <laughs> All right, Christina, tell us what you got. All right, so my pick is going to be Keyboard Maestro 11, which came out, uh, I think, like last week. And uh, this is just like this is an app that we've talked about before. Um, I love it. I um, really, really um, like it's one of these apps that I don't use as much as I, I could, but that every time I jump into it just a little bit, I realize how much I like it. And there are a lot of different automation apps out there. Uh, you know, there, there's a better touch tool, and, and obviously you can do some similar things with things like Text Expander, but. I really love the interface and the stability of um, Keyboard Maestro. And so I oftentimes use all three of those for different things. But um, if you're somebody who, you know, wants to have a really good way of automating stuff or, or doing very specific things with keystrokes, I love, love, love Keyboard Maestro. And, and the new um, version includes a CLI, which is very exciting. So now you can just run Keyboard Maestro um, in your command line to run um, some of your automations, which I think is really cool. And, uh, so, um, congrats to them for, you know, uh, continuing to put out a really, really good app. And, and this was one of those things I got the email about my upgrade and I was like, that is absolutely, I was like, this is the easiest, like $18 yep, or whatever that I could spend. Yeah, yep. totally. So keyword my, yeah. my pick. And not just for, for keystrokes, like you can, you can find so many different things as triggers and keyboard maestro, um, like MIDI keys, for example, like you can oh, yes. have, you can have a cord on your, on your MIDI keyboard next to your desk, launch an app. Yeah. You um, can use it with your, uh, with your, with your stream deck. Yep. 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 All kinds of crazy stuff. Um, I can think use it to trigger bunch. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I do actually on, I use, I think I have a video my on stream that deck to trigger keyboard maestro to trigger bunch. Um, but it's uh the the when shortcuts came out and they included a command line utility for running shortcuts i feel like that prompted some of the automation all some of the like venerated automation apps to like come out with a command line utility which i think has been a good step forward because mm -hmm. a lot of us a lot of us who are capable of creating complex keyboard maestro actions probably want to call it from the command line. Right. Um, you know, or through a script. And so I think that's a, a very wise addition. Oh yeah. I, I have definitely written a video about using keyboard maestro to launch other automation tools like bunch. Yeah. Also shout out to like two years ago, hair. Oh my goodness. That was, that was a phase. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right so my pick for the week here we are we're an hour and a half in this is gonna be this is a long stop, stop bringing attention to it they won't notice <laughs> they'll never notice because this has been so riveting that no one has paid attention to the progress of time um i am gonna pick image magic and uh i had originally had uh, things versus OmniFocus on my list here. But then we started talking about how I've automated my uh, giveaway 
posts on my blog. And every one of those posts starts with a picture of a robot holding the icon of the app I'm giving away, and then ends with a picture of the robot holding the icon on top of a confetti background. And it's the same for every post. And I I thought, God, I should be able to create these automatically. And uh, Retrobatch could do it. Retrobatch can't layer or overlay images in that way. Uh, So I dug in and I got down to Image Magic, which is a command line utility you can install with Homebrew. And its its, um, capabilities are immense and its command line options are intense. Um, You will have to Google everything you want to do in order to put it together. But now I can type robot and then the name of any application on uh, my local machine or on either the Mac App Store or the iOS App Store. And it will automatically generate the robot holding that icon and it will generate the confetti image um, in, in one keystroke. And it will automatically create the uh, WebP and I, I, uh, Twitter and Facebook sharing images for that uh, post header. And it is, it's, it's an intensely complex command line utility. But uh, honestly, like there's nothing else that can do what it does. Yeah, nothing even comes close. Like it is, it's literally the FFmpeg for images. Like if you've wanted to use something, you know, similar to FFmpeg, uh, but dealing with images, like, image magic and the um the maintainer of it is is really great and um you know the stuff that's added like 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 brett was saying you have to look up every single thing you do it is insane but there is great there is room there is space in the app community for a graphic interface to image magic like someone who could do something like what Retrobatch. Have you guys ever seen Retrobatch? I was, I was going to bring up Retrobatch. Like it can do so much stuff, but if it could do what Image Magic does, if it could provide a graphical user interface, yep, a GUI, a GUI, if you will, to Retro uh, to Image Magic, it would it would be. An amazing tool. No, I totally agree. Um, uh, we've talked about it's been a previous gratitude pick of mine is um, uh, FF Works, uh, which is an yeah. FFmpeg front end, which is really really good. Uh, I I would wish that somebody could do that, or you know, if, if Gus wants to, you know, expand, um, you know, um, <laughs> a retro batch to, to taking on more of the uh, uh, image magic stuff, uh, that would be greatly appreciated too. I wonder yeah. if there's like a, a just a simple endpoint that you could add, similar to like what Brett does half the time. Where like, hey, if you want to just do some scripting type thing, just paste this code in. Like, Keyboard Maestro does this, Bunch does this, Alfred does this. Like, yeah, Retrobatch, just give me access to the CLI for Image Magic, and then like now you can do everything else. Which I've been using. I've been using Pillow because it's a part of like the whole Python image library stuff to do automated. What are those things called? The meta tag cards? Yes. For my blog. Open yep. graph. Yeah. Yep. I would love to switch that out to use image magic because like right now it's it's so janky. Like 
anytime you have to add text to something, I'm just like, I, I give yep. up. <laughs> no, yep. totally. And now would actually be a great time for somebody to do a GUI tool because to your point about the open graph things, you know, Twitter got rid of the fact well, headlines on um, links. And so what I think that people need to do now is you need to do an overlay of what your headline is on top of your image. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you could completely automate with image magic. So if somebody made like a good GUI tool, you know, to kind of take on that feature, you could sell shitloads of copies to basically anybody who publishes anything on Twitter, whether they want to or not, because yeah, now if you take, if you take the sample code for an image magic command to overlay text, it's gonna it's gonna work, but it's gonna look like shit. Right. And it takes it takes some knowledge and finesse to actually make it look good. And a GUI could totally make that customizable and easy without constantly tweaking drop shadows and right. turning and yeah and and yeah and the thing is is that people who are publishing a lot of times these things are never going to do that anyway and so if you were able to do that you could you know like look i don't want somebody to just do it for you know publishing to twitter but if you if you um you know even or, or publishing to open graph stuff but like if if you made a, a good gui tool you could have like a quick like part of it that would let you do just that and you could again like sell so many copies because that's a that's a thing that people a need to do already and b increasingly um i'm i'm waiting like i'm shocked that the new york times and people haven't already built this into their cmss to be honest because they have the resources to do so you know having a way to like overlay the text on those images so that yeah when people now look at these things on twitter they can actually know what the fuck they're clicking on yeah. all right I feel like that wraps up a 90 minute episode pretty well. So. All right. Jay, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. All right. Jay. You guys get some sleep. Get some sleep. Get some sleep. The system is going down low. Hey there, good people. Before you go, we have a bunch of new places where you can interact with us. Please check out our Instagram feed our YouTube channel, Twitter, of course, and sign up for the Overtired newsletter, which will sort of pick up where the show leaves off with expanded show notes, uh, a little bit of what the three of us get up to between episodes. And let's face it, there'll be some musings. How can you resist musings? You'll find details for all the ways to interact with us in the show notes and at overtired.com. And thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for listening.